So this evening we're going to do the last one in our series on Psalms. Um, we'll probably come back here sometime in the future again. There's a hundred and odd left to go through. Um, so we probably will be there. I was kind of torn between which one we'd look at this evening. But so I, I thought um, we could look at Psalm 73. Um, now before we read um, the Psalms, um, I just wanted to take a moment. Perhaps you could, if you've got Psalm 73 on your Bible, be helpful if you open it up there and try to unpack some of what's going on there um, as we go through. But Psalm 73 is, um, is a psalm that was authored by someone named Asaf. Um, and Asaf authored about 12 of the 150 psalms um, that would have been incorporated in worship um, by God's people during that time. Um, Asaf was apparently a, a prominent Levite singer, and um, he would have been situated in David's court, and uh, he would have been part of the tribe of Levi, and we read more about him in First Chronicles. What's interesting about Asaf is that he was also, in the language of that time, he was a seer. He was someone who had the gift of the prophetic. Um, and so he was quite a, quite a prominent figure in David's court during that time. The Levites, who he was part of, they had responsibility over aspects of tabernacle or, or um, temple worship. And Asaf was commissioned by David to be in charge of singing um, in temple worship. So, so, so that's the guy. So, um, and he served in this um, official ministry capacity for, for actually for quite a long time because he, he started with King David and he ended um, serving with David's son, um, King Solomon, as well. So he was a, he was a worship leader and um, quite prominent there. Psalm 73, if you can think back way to the first one for those of you who are here, if you remember that the book of Psalms is broken up into five books, five sections. Um, Psalm 73 is the beginning of the third section. And this third section within the, 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 the series of Psalms some theologians say it's the darkest part of, of the Psalms. Um, and so when we think of Asaf as being this worship leader, maybe he's not wearing Converse All-Stars and a white jeans, um, and maybe there's not. <laughs> um, I don't see smoke and lights um, and an attempt to get people excited. He wasn't that kind of worship leader. Uh, when we think about Asaf, maybe it's more accurate um, to think of him as a worship leader, maybe sitting in ashes um, with torn clothes, helping people to properly lament. That's kind of the picture that we get from doing some study on, on this character of Asaf. So with that in our mind, let's, let's, um, let's read Psalm 73, which was written 2,700 years ago, but is still relevant today. 
Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold. For I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from common human burdens. They are not plagued by human ills. Therefore pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. From their callous hearts comes iniquity. Their evil imaginations have no limits. They scoff and speak with malice. With arrogance they threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven and their tongues take possession of the earth. Therefore, their people turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. They say, how would God know? Does the Most High know anything? This is what the wicked are like. Always free of care, they go on amassing wealth. Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure and have washed my hands in innocence. All day long I have been afflicted and every morning brings new punishments. If I had spoken out like that, I would have betrayed your children. When I tried to understand all this, it troubled me deeply till I entered the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their final destiny. Surely you place them on slippery ground. You cast them down to ruin. How suddenly are they destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. They are like a dream when one awakes. When you arise, Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. Yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of all your deeds. It's quite a long psalm, but you, can you notice it's kind of like a, he's kind of almost telling a story, something that really happened to him. Um, and the psalm is kind of like a prayer because he's speaking to Yahweh as he's processing this issue that he's got. You know, he's reflecting on an experience that he's had. And Asaf is trying to understand Yahweh's participation in the lives of those who worship him and who follow him. He's trying to work that out as he's processing this. Now these poetic words are about God's goodness towards those who wholeheartedly love him 
and who are devoted to him versus God's apparent goodness to those who are not committed to him and in fact, in many ways, reject him. And Asaf's words here are kind of like a prayer about a difficult life experience that he was going through. Um, and it gives a lot of attention as we read it to his feelings and to his emotions in this intellectual and spiritual crisis that he finds himself in as he works through these issues. And so as we can see, part of Asaf processing that includes some doubt. And it includes questions. And it includes a wrestling with God. And so we could, in some sense also, when we read the psalm, see it as a resource for ourselves when we find ourselves in phases in our lives when we ourselves may be questioning God's goodness to those who are devoted to him. This psalm deals with that question of why does it seem like someone else is doing so much better than me? That's at the heart of what Asaf is asking here. And, and if you aren't in that difficult space or if you haven't had that question run through your mind yet, just wait a few more years and um, I'm sure you'll find yourself there at some point in time because it's something that I, I have come to realize it's part of life. Now this psalm for me is quite profound because it comes from someone who is already a believer. It comes from someone who has already acknowledged the sovereignty of God. They worship God, yet the circumstances of life appear to have pushed them to a place of questioning God again to raising questions and wrestling with what their observance is in life. And so Asaf begins this psalm um, right at the beginning there in verse 1 with a simple declaration of the goodness of God towards his people. He starts there with that line, Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure, in heart. Now, in the context of the words that follow, it appears as though there could be an aspect of uncertainty in Asaf's mind, maybe even a little bit of sarcasm in the way he, 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 he phrases that there, attached to this declaration. Kind of like, surely God is good in the context of what he is observing around him. You know, as, as, um, as believers, we have that saying amongst one another, and you often hear it here in church um, at the beginning, and it goes, God is good. <laughs> and that's the response. The response is all the time. And if someone starts with all the time, God is good. You know, and we say that without even thinking. It has become something that we say. Surely God is good, you know? 
Um, and so Asaf, I think, he says the line that all religious people say. But I think for Asaf, there's a, there's a, there's a deeper layer to it. It's not just one of those things that we say. I think there's a difference between someone who just became a believer and who has only been walking and following Jesus for a short while versus someone who has years and years of experience walking with Jesus and saying that line, surely God is good. And so I think when Asaf says this as his opening line to the psalm, I think it's more of an anchor statement for him. Uh, not as someone who's questioning God's goodness, but as someone who has learnt of God's goodness through really bad experiences and really good experiences. And then Asaf starts to unpack um, about his situation. Asaf knew um, what he said about God in the first verse was true, related to God's goodness. Yet there was another truth that actually disturbed him. And it disturbed him greatly. And this truth made him almost stumble and lose his foothold. It made his steps nearly slip, as he put it. Now he uses interesting language to describe his experience there. Um, you're, you're not going to slip and lose your foothold walking on flat and even ground. I think the way Asaf describes his experience makes us understand the spiritual journey to be kind of like an upward steady climb, a slow ascent that is steep and is definitely not a walk in the park. Following God is kind of, it's like this journey, like a challenge that involves inclines and difficulty as well as great and deep blessing. And so Asaf says in his journey of following Yahweh, of following God, he came to this point where he nearly lost his foothold and he almost slipped and fell. Now those of us here who enjoy climbing and hiking, I know there's a group here who enjoy that. Um, now those of you who, who enjoy hiking and climbing will know that you will always plan your route. You'll always know where you're going, even if you're, even if you're following someone. The route is planned. So those of you who climb and who hike, you will know you always plan your route. Even if you're following someone, you have an idea of where you're going. But for Asafia, in the way that he's, he's authoring this for us, um, along the way, something completely unplanned happened. And it nearly made him slip in the way that he's describing his journey. And um, it's this journey of moving along, but then for him, something diverted his attention. And I think we can relate 
to Asaf's journey in stages of our own lives. Um, because there are moments in, in life where we are happily moving along, um, whether it be climbing or moving, but then something happens. An example of something that happened that um, affected the entire world two years ago. Can you remember that? COVID came along. The whole world was moving along, and all of a sudden, this came along. And many, many people slipped and lost their foothold. Um, and so I think that even up until now, we experience that even here amongst us, some folk have moved on from church and haven't returned. Um, and then there are others who struggle with committing to um, an endeavor or committing to ministry or committing to something of value. Those are things that are signs that some people may have slipped. And it's a reality of our lives. And there are other life experiences that could make you slip. In the week, some of our young people got together. We spoke about pornography. Um, and we're going to continue to speak about relationships. Those are things in our lives that have the potential to make us slip. But then in the next few verses, from verse 3, Asaf moves from this metaphor in describing his journey to reality. And Asaf knew that Yahweh was good to Israel and to those who are pure in heart, but it also seemed that God was good to the boastful and to the wicked. Asaf saw the same troubling evidence that many of us see every day in our own lives, I think. Many people cannot deny that God is good to them, but it also seems that God is good, and sometimes maybe too good, to the boastful and to the wicked, in the words of Asaf. Those who don't believe in God. In fact, even those who openly reject him. Now, I think what's key here is that it's, this is something that Asaf saw. It was an experience. For him, it wasn't an academic exercise. It wasn't him sitting down and trying to navigate theologically what he was observing. It was plainly what his experience was as someone who lived during that time. He saw the prosperity of the wicked in his words. And in the original Hebrew, the word used there is a word that we all know quite well. Asaf saw the shalom of the wicked. He saw their abundance. He saw their harmony. He saw their wholeness, what seemed to be that. Even what seemed to look like peace to him is something that he had observed. He saw people who were self-promoting, self-important, abusive, selfish, worldly, sinful people. He saw those kinds of people doing really well. 
And these people, in the way that he described it, seem to have no struggles. He says their bodies are healthy and strong. They seem to have none of the common burdens that other humans have. They've got enough money. They don't seem to lack anything. And, and I would hazard a guess that at some point in time, you would have had questions like this and about how God works. You know, seeing people who deny God, seeing them prosper. While someone who we know, or might be us, who submits to the authority of the living God, we see those people suffer. Perhaps we see people in poverty, maybe people in serious relationship issues, or maybe other challenges that life brings. And I think those kinds of deep questions cause us sometimes to question the moral order of the universe. Why does that happen? Why does it seem like those who don't worship God do well, and those who do worship God seem to suffer and don't do well? And so one could ask, what good is there then in being good? Why bother? If the wicked enjoy the same prosperity as those who are pure in heart, then what is the reward of godliness? Because if God is in control of things, then the plans of the wicked should fail. In fact, the wicked should be openly punished. It should be the godly alone who should prosper, surely. But this is not what Asaf saw. And I don't think it is what we see either. Because I think we, oftentimes, we see wealthy people who we don't think should be getting wealthy, getting really wealthy, flying beyond the atmosphere, getting really rich. We see people who don't think that we believe should be walking out of hospital. We see people walking out of hospital, healthy and strong. But then those who love the Lord and are pure of heart, in the words of Asaf, don't do well. We see people who love God suffer. Now as, as we, we try to unpack what's behind Asaf's words here, I think it seems that Asaf has been taught that the good always prosper and that the wicked don't. It seems like that's what he's been taught in the way that he's outlining his thinking here. But here now, Asaf wasn't seeing this in his own experience. And so in his mind, there was this conflict between the good and how they experience life and those who he calls the wicked and how they experience life. And Asaf spends many verses describing the prosperity of the wicked and how they do well. 
But then he gets to a point of processing his situation and he comes to a new perspective. And I, and I want to list his process under, under three points. In verse 16, if you've got it open there, we see the whole idea of trying to understand his experience was to Asaf a tiring task. It was wearisome for him. And it troubled him deeply until he came to the sanctuary of God. Until he came to the temple, he says. The holy place where God's people came to gather for worship. And it was only when he came together with other believers in fellowship that he was able to make sense again of these questions that came to him out of his experience. And so the first point is then that he found resolution in the company of believers. He found some more meaning when he came together with others who also followed Yahweh. He was immersed in his negativity and in response, he then took himself out of that and immersed himself into a different positive setting. That's the first point I see. The second point is this. When Asaf went to the temple, when he went to the sanctuary, it helped him because he was then able to connect with eternity. Something that made him deeper understand the end of the wicked in the way that he describes it there. He didn't go to the temple to, to hear the latest gossip. The gossip. Um, he didn't go to the temple because he wanted to jam with the rest of the worship people. Um, he didn't go there to hear what the latest talk was within the marketplace or the business office. Asaf needed to hear the ultimate truth, the relevance of eternity as it related to the struggle that it has. And it was Asaf's move to immerse himself in a community of faith that helped him. And then while he was there, it was the words of truth proclaimed at the temple that reminded him that God had set the wicked in slippery places, he says, and that God would deal with him in verses 18 and 20. So he starts to get answers when he changes where he is at and where he places himself to better to be able um, to deal with some of these questions that have arisen in his experience. But then there's something very important, the third point that Asaf realizes from verses 21 and 22, and it's possibly the most important thing. Asaf essentially realizes that God's presence was always with him. God's presence was there in what seemed to be his absence, working to bring Asaf closer to himself. Even when Asaf thought of himself 
as he describes himself there as a brute beast. God was with him, holding him by his right hand. In closing, I think this psalm shows that having doubts like Asaf's is not incompatible with responsible Christian living. Um, It may have been true, as he says, that his feet had almost slipped, but they hadn't actually slipped. They almost slipped, but he didn't slip. Or at least they had not slipped so far as to make him forget his responsibilities as a leader of God's people and someone who had been called out to do so. And so for Asaf, this wasn't an experience of him saying, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm really, I'm not a good follower of God. Um, how can I possibly have these feelings of doubt, um, especially if God is good? Um, it wasn't that. Rather, it was a moment of growth for him. He didn't remove himself away from the gathering. He had those questions He was wrestling with these issues, and he had the wisdom to deal with them in community. There's wrestling, there's questioning, leaving behind something you held to be true to embrace ultimate truth. And I think sometimes our faith needs to catch up with the growth that we experience and we need to have the wisdom and the eyes to see that that is where God is leading us.